On his Netflix show Magic for Humans, the magician Justin Willman does this trick called influencing the influencers. These days, you don't have to be a doctor or a magician to have power over people. Social media can give anyone the ability to influence the masses. Justin invites three influencers to a place called World of Fruit, basically a warehouse with over-the-top fruit-themed rooms. It looks like it's perfectly designed for Instagram. I've always wondered, does being an influencer mean that you are less susceptible to being influenced? Yes. Interesting. He gives them a teal box full of 50 completely random props, an ice cube tray, gravy boat, a hemorrhoid ring, etc., etc., and then sends them off to take selfies with the props they've chosen. Selfie sticks down, come on back. Nice. They return frenzied but confident. Justin then asks the influencers to pick their favorite picture in their favorite room with their favorite prop. Raise your hand if you chose a pic with the stapler. Hemorrhoid donut. Raise your hand if you chose the ice cube tray. Everyone raises their hand. Wait. Drama. <laughs> Wait, what? Wait. Um, I have questions. Wait. Like you. His first reveal? Somehow, each influencer posted a picture of themselves with the same prop, in the same room, with the same pose, complete with the exact same caption. The ice cube tray on the watermelon swing in front of my face. The hashtag was Trey Cool. What were your hashtags? I don't even want to talk about it. Trey Cool. I'm shooketh. Reveal number two. Not only did they take that picture, but as Justin shows when he unveils a large framed photo, he had also taken the exact same picture when he visited the warehouse space just a week earlier. I wasn't here to take a lesson in influencing. I was here to teach it. I'm Damien Bradfield, and this is Influence, a podcast by WeTransfer about the hidden gems, hotspots, and dark alleys in the world of communication. On today's episode, we talk to the magician and comedian Justin Willman. Justin is the host and creator of the Netflix show Magic for Humans. The show is a marvelous mix of street magic and staged experiments. And even though it's on TV, there are no trick camera cuts or CGI. He says there's just no need for them. Magicians are experts at sleights of hand, at misdirection. For their tricks to work, they really have to understand us. So we're here to ask him about people, what he's learned about people through his magic, and how to manipulate our attention. Now, manipulate sounds like a bad word, but Justin's magic has some delightful results. Justin, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. I wanted to start by asking you about a trick that you did in your show, Magic for Humans. The one called Influencing the Influences. Uh-huh. My daughter loved this, right? Because she's 12 years old. She thinks that she's an influencer and, and ultimately she aspires to be one, sadly enough. <laughs> and, uh, you know, going through it, she firstly was saying, oh my God, I want to go to that place. The a world of fruit. Exactly. Uh-huh. A selfie lover's paradise. That's the one, yeah. And then, you know, she said, oh, I don't think you'd be able to trick me that easily. I'd, <laughs> I'd see it coming. So I just wanted to talk through the setup because you basically bring in this bunch of young influencers, three of them into this space in LA, and um, you ask them a few questions about what they do and how they do it. And then I would love you to just walk through what happens next. So the bit in a nutshell, which is, 
really inspired by a Darren Brown bit, who's one of my favorite kind of mentalist magicians in the UK. And he actually did a version of this with advertising executives. I remember it. Um, Yeah, I remember it. Yeah, and it was fantastic. So this was kind of my modern spin on it with with influencers, love them or hate them. They make a lot of money because they're good at what they do. And they make a lot of money from views, but also brands and stuff. So they seemed like the perfect kind of foil for a bit like this. So I sat them down under the guise of uh, asking their advice on how I could improve my own social media presence. And, you know, they kind of ripped me to shreds a little bit. Did they know that you're a magician? They knew I was a magician and they were told like a week or two before we shot this just to get familiar with my social media brand, my online brand. So they were told to hey, follow him and kind of, you know, look at his stuff so you have interesting things to say when he asks you questions. So that was kind of part of the ruse planted ahead of time, just, you know, that pays off later, as you know. Right. They give me tips on filters and writing captions, you know, and a bunch of just nonsense that anyone over 30 rolls their eyes at. And it's like, I want to punch these influencers. But still, they know what they're talking about. And then I send them off to show me how they do what they do. Show me how a brand approached you to you know, promote their product. And I send them off into this little photo op place with a bunch of just random household products that I brought from the grocery store. And they take a bunch of pictures and they come back. And The products are very random. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're very random. Plungers and ice cube trays. Oh, the hemorrhoid ring. (laughs) Okay. Just have one of those lying Uh, around. Yeah. I know. And it looked like it was like straight out of a mid-80s grocery store. It's like, where do you even find that? The color is disgusting. It was disgusting. Skin tone pink. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I wanted to give them a challenge to sell products that have a hard time selling themselves. Anyway, then they come back and sit down and I have them all secretly scroll through, pick their favorite picture that they took write a caption for it, post it. And then I ultimately reveal that not only did they all end up choosing the same product, an ice cube tray, uh, in the same location, which was on this watermelon swing, but they all kind of wrote the same hashtag, which was tray cool, a pun about an ice cube tray, but that two weeks ago I was here and I took the same picture on the same spot with an ice cube tray. And then they're kind of like, what? And then... um, you know, inspired by Darren, kind of letting the audience in on it, I reveal that the method was accomplished by subliminally planting things that had to do with the idea of an ice cube tray or ice cubes and cold and mentioning Gallagher and smashing watermelons and swings and swings and swings. You know, during my social media critique session, you know, I kind of implanted these ideas as much as I could without getting detected for like, why are you talking about ice cube trays the whole time? I just love that bit because I feel like um, it's nice for all of us to be reminded how not in control we are of the things we think and do and say. And I'm glad your daughter liked the bit, but I, hopefully it made her just think a little bit about what she's being fed as she scrolls. You know, I, I try to stay cognizant of that as well. It is that moment you just think, oh my God, how does that work? So, okay, so I want to do the same game, right? So now I have two teenage kids and I'm desperate to try and influence them. How, for example, how am I going to get them to tidy their room? Could I plant certain messages a certain number of times and it works? How do you know how many times you have to say the word swing or how many times you have to show them a picture of a swing in order to make it land, as you say, without giving it away? Yeah, that's also the, the tough part. You know, 
being a magician myself and trying to have as honest of a conversation as possible, but also not giving away all like the extra little tidbits. Sure. It's also not an exact science. That day when we showed up, I was prepared that if that didn't work, if that failed, just to do a bunch of other random close-up magic for them and salvage the day into something shootable. And, and I'm not like a psychology expert. What I know about psychology is just from doing magic and watching people and how they react and, you know, figuring out how far you can kind of push them or nudge them in the course of a performance, you know, over, over 20 years from when I was doing like kids' birthday parties and trying to kind of psychologically manage an audience of screaming eight-year-olds to doing comedy club, psychologically managing an 80-drunk 30-year-olds, which are very similar audiences. <laughs> The sweet spot is figuring out how far you can push it without them saying, like, why are you talking weird? You know what I mean? Just picking up of the things that I know I'm susceptible to. And, you know, when I'll talk about something and I'll see it on my Instagram the next day or when you start to notice a thing because you someone just mentioned it, you know, you're talking about Volvos and now you only see Volvos on the road and you feel like, well, that's weird. But it's not weird. You know, it's we've been cued and primed. How many hours would you have to put into this one magic trick to make it work? Luckily, all the hours, you know, the 10,000 plus hours of, of doing magic and comedy and trying to figure out what will get the job done on the magic side and, and the funny side, all kind of is useful in a thing like this, you know. And as we write a season of the show, I've got kind of a room full of the funniest, smartest people I can find and get along with who are not magicians in this first phase of the writing room. People who have good ideas and aren't limited by how a trick could be done. They just kind of say it because it's not their department to figure out how to do it, you know? And then we take all these great ideas and go into the magic phase where I'm with a bunch of magicians in a dank warehouse and we kind of figure out how to pull these things off. And this bit was just kind of put off to the last minute in the course of shooting a season because it was hard for any of us to wrap our heads around. You know, me and Stuart McLeod, my really brilliant magic right-hand man. And we just kind of, it was it was just evolving a trial and error, trial and error, trying it out on different crew on shoot days, you know, trying out little little parts of it, but never having tried out the whole gambit until until that day. And honestly, we got really lucky. I will say these influencers... We're not expecting what was happening, you know? Like, I think they thought the magic show part hadn't happened yet, which made them a little, like, not really paying full attention. Like, right. I think if they knew, all right, we're filming now because this is part of the magic, they, they maybe would have caught on. But because they were kind of on autopilot, like, yeah, that's a good post, that's a good Instagram caption, you know, they, they kind of were an unwilling sponge more than they would have been, I think. I mean, so you have an amazing affinity, I think, with the audience. You have this very sort of friendly, jovial, likable personality, which I think puts people at ease. Uh-huh. That confidence is part of the trick, too, of doing what you do, I think. Yeah, yeah. I know what you mean about the confidence with magic. People are they're like, what kind of magician is this? You're going to make me look like an idiot? Are you going to take, what do you need? Do you need to borrow a bill or my phone? Like, I'm on guard. If you can put them at ease that you're not that kind of magician, it's not going to be like that. They're already a little more on board. And then also, um, I've seen a bunch of magicians who maybe, you know, don't have years of experience behind them perform. And I get really uncomfortable when I feel like they might mess up. It's cringy. You want to be put at ease. You want to know you're in the hands of a pro. So I try to, like, make sure people know that, too. And then, and then you know, your biggest hurdle's over because then they're really, they're, they're in it to win it. And they're like, okay, fun. Take, take me on a ride. Right. You can easily 
get them into a position of being comfortable with you very quickly. I'm thinking of when uh, you were on the James Corden show with the printer. Maybe you could just talk us through that. And joining us now is the brilliant Justin Wilman. Thank you for having me, James. We're huge fans of the, your show, In Our House. It's based on just this formula that somehow I've found that really works for me and that I can somehow mask and put in disguise and kind of do multiple times in the same show, which is, here's a trick that's pretty cool. Hey, here's how I do it. And, and you're like, oh, that's cool. That's funny. I can't believe that. And then it's like, no, that's not how I do it. Right. So it's like this little roller coaster ride, creating tension, releasing tension, and then just like getting punched, punched in the gut. Um, that bit, the printer is, uh, I have a box, cardboard box on a stool, and I asked James. So James, I'm curious. I know you love music. What band are you super excited to see live? Um, I'm excited to see... Arctic Monkeys. What destination, what city, maybe it's somewhere warm or cold, but you feel like, you know what, I took that place for granted. I want to go there. Oh, London. We're at London? London, for sure. London. Reggie, you know, you've had a lot of celebrities that you've met on the show here with James. What one random celebrity are you very excited to hug? Uh, I think, uh, oh, that's so tough. Julian Casablancas. And then I told him I had a dream the night before of, of doing this with this and this and that. And uh, I open up that box that's been in view the whole time and I've got a sheet of paper that printed out shows all those facts that he just said. You could have said anything, you think. I had a dream I went no to way. London, Arctic Monkeys with Julian Casablancas. The classic prediction in a box trick or an envelope, you know, that you think of a magician, you're like, how did he know those things? And then I explained to him that actually there's a printer in the box. And tensions release because you're like, oh, that actually is kind of a, oh, that's, that is how you could do it. That makes sense. You think you, you're, you're in on the secret now. And then I explained that, uh, no, this was part of the dream too. Hold on, it was so weird. No, because it wasn't a printer. And then I remember in the dream that I picked up the printer and it wasn't actually a printer at all. It was just made of paper. I crushed it into a ball and it was just. Oh my word. Justin. The idea for that bit came from when I used to do the classic, you know, there's a box hanging above the stage. I put something in there. We'll get to it later. The audience names a bunch of things. I lower the box and inside is a big old piece of paper with that thing on it. No printer reveal, just straightforward. Great trick. And I did it on the Ellen show and there were some YouTube comments that kept repeating, which is there's like a little printer in the box. People are just saying there's a printer in the box or he's got somebody printing some. And I just found that one to be so funny because that's not how the trick worked. But two, I was like, but that's, that's how it could work. I was like, they're not wrong. We live in a technological age. Like, you know, like that's the world we live in. So I decided if, uh, if the audience is going to think there's a printer in the box, why don't I confirm that suspicion, release the tension. So they're not trying to figure the trick out anymore. I think the trick's over. Right. And then, of course, pull the rug out, you know, and crush it. So the interesting thing, though, about the James Corden show, when I'm doing it on Zoom, I added this extra layer of a sound effect that sounds like a printer printing. So I added that part in, which was kind of a discovery in this new virtual performing world. You know, like the, the technology doesn't have to stand in the way of the magic. It can, it can inspire extra little tidbits and convincers. You also made it look, feel like it was a mistake. You know, that was quite a nice touch. Yeah. As much as I just, you know, preface that whole spiel about how it's good to put an audience at ease so they know that you're not going to mess up. 
I like to take advantage of that occasionally and let them think that I've messed up. Remind them that I'm a human, you know, like David Blaine, he, he doesn't need to let you think he messed up. He's, he's flawless. He's, he's, he's a superhuman, you know, Copperfield wouldn't like do a bit where it looks like he messed up. I'm, I'm not those guys. I kind of like being a little bit more on the level. Of the, of the audience so that I'm not too, yeah. Uh, but I love, I mean, I love that you play off people's skepticism. Everybody wants to break down a magic show, right? Like everybody wants to know, you know, how, how did it happen? How did it work? And if you give them the sense that they've got it, like, oh yeah, okay, I've got that. And then you throw something else in. I think it's, oh shit, I don't have it. I don't have a grip on this thing. Right. And I thought that <laughs> I did, which is you know, a beautiful mind game, I think. Well, yeah. And that, and that bit, the printer, you know, 90% of the audience is like, really happy with that trick. They're floored, you know, they're like, you know, they're amazed. And I kind of then, uh, without them requesting it, go on a rant explaining how it works, explaining that there's a printer in the box. So like explaining to them that magic is easy. You shouldn't let yourself be so amazed. It's such a simple trick. And then I say like, who's glad they know how it works? And people are not glad because they really do think that I just showed them how the trick works. You know, they're bummed out. It's spoiling Christmas. And I explained that, you know, that's the thing with magic is you think you want to know how it works, but you once you find out, you don't want to know, but you don't know that you don't want to know until after you know. I love doing that as an opener because I, I hope it at least tells them right up top, get out of your analytical brain, watch the show like a kid, have fun. You know, we know too much in this world anyway. It's fun to not know things. For sure. So I wanted to just talk about your background because, you know, I think it's an interesting choice, right? Why, why does anyone get into magic? And from what I understand, you picked it up as like a 12-year-old kid and has something to do with breaking your wrists. True. I was riding my bike as a kid, wearing rollerblades at the same time, doing a stupid thing. And I fell off going down a hill and I broke both of my arms at the same time. And uh, many months down the line, after kind of dif- different stints in the hospital for like orthopedic fixes on my arms, my doctor kind of recommended magic as physical therapy. I didn't need actual physical therapy. Who, who recommends magic? Either a great doctor or a terrible doctor. That's malpractice, you know, uh, if it didn't work that well. Have you been back and thanked him? I have been back. I have been back and thanked him. And he does not, he does not remember ever saying this to me. Oh, really? But I'm pretty sure I'm not making it up. My parents, my parents corroborate this story. So I, you know, dove into magic. I got pretty, pretty deep into it pretty quick. Started taking some lessons at a magic shop. What did your parents think about it? My parents were very, very supportive. You know, my, my dad loved the idea that this was a pastime that I could make money doing, like as an entrepreneur. You know, he was always kind of encouraging career, financial stability, which is good. And my mom is very much an artist, so she just loved the performance aspect of it. And she just loved seeing me on stage. And I would use my sister as my assistant. You know, she was just smitten with it. Didn't want to know how any of the tricks work, but they're both very supportive of it. They didn't want to know how the tricks work? They did not. Wow. My dad would get very upset if he accidentally saw something that he wasn't supposed to see. So he would like come down to the, come down to the basement to tell me, you know, it's time for dinner, like with his, with his hand over his eyes. Uh, they just did not want to know. Don't ruin it. Don't ruin it. I mean, that is so supportive. I don't know you could be more supportive as a parent than just saying, keep that magic alive. I don't want to know how it works. I believe in you. It's quite beautiful, I think. That's true. I mean, I, I've never had a conversation with him about the methods or like him saying like, I think I saw how he did something. Like it was, ne- it was always maybe, you know, when he had notes for me after a performance, it was about how I talk, you know, how I presented myself and the jokes and the rapport with the audience or now, like as an adult, his critiques on my facial hair length or what I wore on a TV appearance. Like he's got 
harsh criticisms for for things like that, but never for the how a trick worked. And I imagine if he did, it probably would have made me a little less loose and willing to try out new tricks on them and perform, you know, like when you're a kid, I think one of the things that keeps kids from doing magic as a hobby for a longer period of time is because there's nothing more embarrassing than doing a trick and having your friends say, it's in your pocket. Look, see, it's in your pocket. Cause you don't, when you're just starting magic, you don't know how to get out of that situation. You just feel like an idiot. So can you talk me through some of the first tricks then you were playing on your dad or practicing on your dad? And, and you said your sister too. Right? Yeah, so I, I, there was one magic shop in St. Louis that happened to also be kind of an adult novelty store, you know? So there were, they had a magic counter, but they also had like bachelorette party, penis hats, and lots of inappropriate things all over. Yeah. So I had to have a parent come with me to all these magic lessons because I was... 13 and 14. So my mom would, or dad would come and sit in the car, sitting in the side of the shop. And, um, and I would learn impromptu magic at first, you know, the kind of stuff that you can do with things around the house, a salt shaker or coins or card tricks. And pretty soon, like every dollar I made from allowance or whatever went into buying magic props. I was pretty soon doing kids' birthday party shows. So I had a bunny rabbit that was a pet that became a part of the show and doves very quickly. I I did a dove act. I was very inspired by Lance Burton. We went to Las Vegas when when I was maybe 15 and saw him at the uh, Hacienda Hotel. He was my hero for years and he just did a beautiful dove act. Did you have doves at home? I had doves at home. I started with one and then two and then four. And then pretty quick, I had 14 doves at one point because I did a dove act where it was just like dove, 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 dove that I would compete at in magic competitions. And so like 15, 16 years old, we would have a family trip to Oakland, California for the International Brotherhood of Magicians Magic Convention or Boston. Like some parents cart their kids around to hockey tournaments. You know, our parents would take me to magic conventions and it uh, it was a blast. Eventually, I mean, Traveling with 14 doves is no fun. So gradually, I realized I don't need the birds. Maybe I don't need to do an act to music and kind of all serious. I can kind of find my own persona. Then I became uh, kind of a huge fan of Harry Anderson, who was a comedy magician. who was also the star of Night Court, which was a TV sitcom. So he was kind of a magician turned actor. And I loved his style of magic, which is kind of, you know, in the Penn and Teller realm where it's just as funny as it is amazing. And that kind of became the path I took from there. In the most optimistic and beautiful sense of, of the word magic is, you know, really art. You know, on the negative side, you could also look at it that it's pure manipulation. I think that's where a lot of people want to know the how and get behind the trick and try to work out, you know, how you're manipulating them. Was there a moment when you realized that this was manipulation that could actually be used potentially for bad as well as for good? Well, I remember having a buddy who I would do magic lessons with at the magic shop. We were leaving one day and he kind of like showed me, he's like, look at, I, you know, he shoplifted something from the magic shop. And he's like, I did it using this magic slight. So that's the first time I was like, oh, that's right. Wow. You can use these powers for evil because just like you make a, a ball disappear, you know, using a magic trick, it's very easy to steal stuff. It, it just made me realize like there's a lot of people out there who are conning other people who are basically doing magic, but no one else knows that there's magic happening. You know, and that just comes down to, you know, an ethical standpoint that that made me uncomfortable. But you realize the power of this thing and the power of misdirection and how easy it is 
to fool people. I feel like magic is this art form that's more powerful than most magicians realize it is until they've been doing it for a long time and they, you know, explore all the facets because just the simple act of pick a card, any card, forcing a card on you, you know, it's one of the first things you learn in magic to make someone think they had a free choice when they could have only ended up with the seven of hearts is such like a powerful little metaphor. We feel free will, but really like there are other forces at play. I mean, obviously as a magician, it's kind of nice to have this little arcane knowledge that not everyone is savvy to, so I can kind of use it for entertainment purposes. But So when you're doing a show, what qualities are you looking for when you pull someone out of the audience? Do you know that there's going to be somebody who's potentially more susceptible than another? Can you see somebody who looks like they're you know, a real stickler and they're never going to budge or you know, play ball? So it's very random. I mean, I'm, I'm constantly kind of scanning the audience for people who are either just loving it and reacting big. I know that they're the kind of people who are going to want me to win. They want this to work because anybody who's chosen to help has this firsthand experience. Like when you're watching the Netflix show, you know, you, you have to believe that the people who I'm interacting with are real. You, you live vicariously through them in the course of that trick. So if they are amazed you will be amazed. So I like to, for most bits I'm doing, choose people who are expressive and react in a way that will let everyone else know that what just happened is amazing. You know, when I'm doing shows on Zoom, I mean, luckily in the gallery view, I've got everybody right there in front of me, right. but I can gauge them almost better than I can when I'm on stage because you don't have the lights in my face and, you know, kind of, they're, they're not too dark, you know, out there in the crowd. I can really, I can, you know, really see them point blank and pick people based on uh, how they react to the first trick and the second trick and kind of in my head thinking, like, I'm going to save that person for that thing and oh, this person would be great for this. And sometimes, you know, I choose poorly. <laughs> it happens, you know, like I'll choose someone who'll just, boy, they are, they are a stick in the mud. You just have to pivot. In your show, one of the most moving tricks, I think, is the one you do with your mom. So it's called Music Box Memories. Mm-hmm. And there's such a large amount of empathy, I think, in the act. You use a real light touch you know, light touch to a really moving effect. Can you walk us through what you did with her? Because I imagine this trick must be hard because your mom's also suffering from, or was, sorry, suffering from Alzheimer's. Yeah, you know, over the course of making the show, like after the season one came out, I realized that people really resonated with bits of the show that talked about my own life, that were autobiographical and honest, you know, and using home videos from when I was a kid and kind of letting them into, this is my wife, or we're going to do a thing, or, you know, here's a thing that I struggle with. And there's nothing at the time that I was struggling with more than watching my mom battle Alzheimer's for about a decade at that point. Also, anybody who's a family member of someone with Alzheimer's, you kind of sometimes don't bring it up. It just bums people out. It's, you know, I'm a, I want to keep it light and fun. Obviously, in the course of a funny magic show, it's like, What's a bit we can do that involves that, tells a real story that doesn't bring people down? And my mom, at the time, you know, these memories were slipping away, but music had this ability to can bring things back, you know? So we could play a Neil Diamond song and she would, you know, boom, back into the lyrics because it just taps into a different part of your brain. And to me, that was always like a magical thing. So that's kind of where I started was talking about what we could do. And I want to share this part of my life. And also, I kind of selfishly wanted to document, like create a little time capsule of a a moment with her and my dad, because I knew that the clock was ticking. And, you know, I've got a TV show. What What a great thing. We can have a little beautiful home video moment, even if it doesn't make it into the edit. 
Right. It's at the end of an episode talking about time. Time and memories are so related. So I was going through a scrapbook with my mom and dad, and I come across this uh, little crank music box that I had for when I was a kid where you feed a piece of paper in and kind of play some songs. So I kind of play Twinkle Twinkle Little Star and a couple of these little bedtime songs. Remember that? And when you're trying to get me to go to sleep, you would play different songs. <laughs> listen to this. Yes, listen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Star, mm-hmm. how I wonder Right? I also had these two ticket stubs from a, a tour I did where I opened for musician Jason Mraz, and my mom's always loved his music. So I kind of make make the holes appear in that ticket. And... <laughs> no more. Can wait on yours. Yeah, mm-hmm. I love that song. You know, we shot that in our house. My parents came to L.A. for a weekend, you know, to do that. My dad, of course, was on board and, you know, very supportive. He he knew what, what was going on. But my mom, you know, she's constantly being distracted by the lights. And who are these who are these people with the cameras? It was confusing. And, and that made me feel sad and frustrated in the, in the moment. You know, it was a hard thing to get on tape because even when you have advanced Alzheimer's, you get so good at not wanting people to worry about you that you kind of pretend to know what's going on you're just kind of grinning and nodding and uh, you know I didn't want to exhaust her in that way and I didn't want it to come across on screen that this was exploitative but we ended up capturing it I'm glad you brought it up it's because it's my favorite thing I've ever done because I you know still get maybe a couple emails a week from people whose parents maybe they lost them to Alzheimer's or maybe they were just diagnosed or maybe they just lost them to anything just it, it kind of resonated with people as a reminder to um, call your parents tell them you love them and she did pass away this past May and I was so grateful that we did have this day and this moment but the art of magic is a craft that has the ability to do much more than pick a card, this is your card, you know, but it can be a little bit of a metaphor to create a moment like that. We are nearly out of time, but I just want to say thank you very much. I think magic in particular, I think today is, it's perhaps manipulation, but it's it's positive manipulation. I think it leads to a lot of serendipity and surprise, which we're sadly missing, you know, with no human interaction or it's about the closest you can get to those moments of serendipity that you might have experienced you know, randomly in a bar or a cafe or something. Thanks for your work. I think it's really valuable today. Well, thank you so much. I don't know if you know this quote, but one of my favorites, which is that magic is the most honest profession because we tell you that we're going to fool you and then we fool you. And I feel like we're surrounded by things in this world who basically elements that don't even tell us that they're going to fool us at all and are constantly fooling us. So hopefully people can see that it is an altruistic art form. And that concludes our episode for today. Thank you to Justin Wilman for sharing a bit, but not too much of the magic behind his show. And Justin's show, Magic for Humans, is available now on Netflix. Influence is hosted by me, Damian Bradfield. Our producer is Rachel Swaby, with editing from Elise Hugh and Audrey No, and sound engineering by Mark Bush. 
Our WeTransfer creative producer is Linda Mertens. And a massive thank you to our friends at Center Sound Studio here in Amsterdam. You can find Influence on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. And if you've enjoyed listening to this podcast, please subscribe, rate, and leave us a review. You can follow me on Twitter at DJ Bradfield, and you can send me guest recommendations for this show there too, please. Influence is a podcast from WeTransfer produced in association with Reasonable Volume. Next week, we're taking a well-deserved break, but we'll be back with you on April the 14th. See you then.